Welcome to the Point Church Teaching Podcast. I'm Corey Ickes, one of the pastors here at Point Church in Fort Liberty. We seek to exalt Jesus and equip the saints through expositional preaching and teaching. I hope you're encouraged and uplifted from this week's teaching. Amen. Good morning. Hey, we have the Bible is not a book with disconnected. You can run it back. That's fine. But is one grand story bound together by one. We have the joy. It was the bittersweet joy to end Romans last week, right? I mean, that was sad. I counted, that was 32 sermons on the book of Romans. Um, certainly not the most exhaustive. Uh, I think we missed that by about seven years. Um, but um, it was a sweet time. It, was, it marks a season of the life of our body, right? The season that we went through Romans. And uh, as, a, as one of your pastors, the joy that it was, the shaping, the, the sifting that it was in my life uh, is greatly valued and, uh, you know, is now kind of, uh, you know, in, in journals and in sermon uh, prep and uh, prayers and things like it's, it's kind of locked into me, right? Praise the Lord. But this week we get to start a new series. And so actually this is really kind of, um, this is like the intro to the intro, uh, if you will. So I accidentally planned one extra week for Romans, and so we had a gap between uh, this week and we have a guest speaker next week. So anyways, I'm doing an early intro. Uh, we'll be kicking off kind of part one in two weeks, but uh, this gives us the opportunity to really tease out what this is, what the story of God is. So listen to this. If the biblical story does not control our thinking, then we will be swept up into the story the world tells us about itself. That's from Leslie Newbegin. You see, there's, the reality is, is that there is a story in the Bible, and this, this sermon series is, is honing in on the story this, of how God's redemption through Jesus is really the single story that runs from Genesis to Revelation. Some call this, it's a big fancy word called like the meta-narrative, like this kind of cosmic overview story, this, this origin story. Uh, some friends of mine at, at a, a ministry called Spread Truth, they define a, 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 the biblical meta-narrative as this, God's story given to all mankind that defines us and gives us meaning, hope, and purpose for our existence. It tells us how it all began, what went wrong, if there's any hope, and how everything will end. You see, this, this story of the Bible can be seen and, and kind of broken down into four parts. And those parts and, and what we're going to kind of use as our framework in this series coming up is, is part one is creation, right? Where the origin of all things, the blueprint of how it all came to be and God's purpose in it. The second part is the fall or, or rebellion in which we see mankind uh, disobeying God, attempting to find joy, satisfaction, and purpose apart from God. And that third act or part of the story is redemption, in which the long-awaited Messiah comes and does the work that only He could do. And the fourth part is the restoration, which is God 
doing what he said he was going to do from the beginning, which was right all the wrongs. Amen? And so this, this overview, I, I need you, this is going to be the goal and, and the, the tension here is like we can memorize this and we can store it into our brains. But we actually need the glorious picture of God's redemption from creation all the way through to restoration to actually change our hearts and shape our worldview. Because like Newbegin said, if this story isn't controlling us, then we're actually, we're, we'll believe anything the world tells us. You know what the world's telling folks? That they're enough. That, that they've got it, that they're generally good, and that as long as they get enough education or they get enough of this or they get enough of that, that they'll kind of just be okay. But see, the Bible paints a very different story with a much greater hope, one that actually is outside of us. And you and I need to be changed by that. And we need to be so changed by it that we can't help but tell others. Amen? So, this, this understanding, this story from creation, the fall, the, the, the uh, redemption and, and restoration, it's actually kind of informs some of our theology. All right? Another big word. And some, of, some in here may be really keyed in on theology. Uh, and you say, well, yeah, systematic theology, of course. You know, where we, we you know, Wayne Grudem, and we read all of the doctrine on what is right belief. But this, this series is actually going to shape our biblical theology, right? And, and that's not just theology that's biblical, but it's actually the theology that we find in the text of Scripture. So let me, let me give you a definition. Rather than gathering everything the Bible says about a particular topic, which is often when we think about theology, we think about like a systematic. So uh, atonement, right? Everything the Bible says about atonement, old and new, we, we plop it in that category, right? Biblical theology, instead of gathering all these facts into one kind of category, biblical theology actually traces the progressive revelation of God and His saving plan. So what, it, what, what that's saying is, is that biblical theology pulls back and, and goes from Genesis to Revelation and traces how God is redeeming, doing what He said He would do, but in a progressive way. And we're going to find out what that looks like specifically. But as I was singing these songs this morning, I could not help. There were the first two songs that we sang. Both, one was speaking about the Lord doing things even when it doesn't feel like it. Anybody? And then he will never fail. And we turned to him and we cried out to him. And what did he do? But he answered. And if you think about the whole, the, all of the scriptures, it's the people of God fighting this fleshly desire to want to know things right now and to see the end right now versus putting your hope in things not seen. And having to rely on God that, he'll do, that He will not fail, that He'll do the things that He said He would do even when it doesn't look or feel as if He's doing it. And I don't know, if, if that doesn't describe the tension in the majority of our lives 
right this moment. Now, it may be over an array of topics and issues, but if that doesn't describe the tension that many of us are in, I mean, like, we might, like, if you're human, you're feeling that tension. And by God's grace, as we dive into this series on biblical theology, looking at the story of God, we'll be able to take the Old Testament and the New and the progressive revelation of God from Genesis to Revelation and be able to take heart. Be able to take heart. That He will not fail. That we can trust Him. That He will do what He said He will do. Chris Bruno says, he continues about talking about biblical theology. It says it traces the storyline of the Bible, right? Our helpful video talks about this crimson thread pulled from Genesis to Revelation, one storyline. It traces the unity in the Bible. You see, we we run risk of, of, of so compartmentalizing the text of Scripture that we almost reduce it. Like, uh, if, if you have the bookmark, this is no offense. But oftentimes we can reduce the Bible to like almost a self-help text. And, you know, I've had the bookmarks where it's like, hey, if you have this, go to Psalms. Or if you, and, and that's okay. That, that there is truth. There's practical truth in the Word. But we, we run the error of compartmentalizing it so much that it becomes this, hey, we go here for this, rather than being pulled back and going, man, this is a sovereign God in Genesis. It's a sovereign God in Joshua. It's a sovereign God in Matthew. And he's a sovereign God in Revelation. And I can trust him. Right? So this study will help us to, to understand the, the unity of the Bible. It teaches us to read the whole Bible with Christ at the center. And Jesus is not only in the New Testament. And I'm here to tell you that there are people that say that you can sever the Old Testament and the New Testament. The words was unhitch. And we dare not do that. We dare not unhitch. We, we, can't, have, we can't understand the New Testament in its fullness apart from the Old Testament. And we need to read every bit of it in light of Christ. I had a professor who was so formative in my seminary years in helping me understand this in which he said we need to see Christ on every page. Biblical theology teaches us, I said that, it shows us what it means to be part of God's redeemed people. You see, in Jesus' family, listen, we have sometimes reduced Christianity or the life in Christ as kind of a get out of hell pass. Check that box. And then just kind of live your life with your best efforts. But see, what we find out when we pull back and look at the grand story of the Bible is that from day one, God ordained a people for Himself. From day one, God purposed those people that he would be highly worshipped and praised, and that we would find our greatest joy in being those people. And so when we fail to understand the, 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 the wealth and the responsibility, the riches and the responsibility of being the people of God, then we miss so much of the Bible. So why biblical theology? Corey, why, why are the elders taking us into this study 
And the reason is because biblical literacy in society, but more alarming biblical literacy in the church is at an all-time low. Like, I, I, I can't, I, I, I was looking at stats yesterday, last night at the literacy rates, and it's, it's shocking and appalling and quite honestly explains so much in larger society. When the church can't stand on the doctrine of the word, when the church can't say with authority that thus saith the Lord, according to the scriptures, then we forfeit all authority, right? When, when we can't actually submit to the truth that's in the word, then we ourselves find, our, we, we find ourselves out from underneath the authority of scripture. And once you find yourself outside of the authority of scripture, I mean, you're, you're a rock slip away from denying the whole thing. And essentially, as biblical literacy has declined, we're seeing more and more fall away. Some in loud, very articulate ways, they, like, they call themselves deconstructing, right? Hey, I'm like, I live this life, and here's all the problems, here's all the issues, here's my outline, here's my thesis on it. And many others, family, and this is, I mean, at least those folks are honest about them walking away from the Lord. The, the one that's more suspicious, the one that's more uh, threatening and a, and a little bit sneaky is those who still claim Jesus yet completely discard the authority of His Word and His truth. And this is why we must have a right biblical theology. This is important. We want to establish believers to move from that compartmentalized view of the Bible to understanding the whole of Scriptures in light of God's redemption. And listen, like I said earlier, we want to move believers from a small and individual view of salvation where it's just your get-out-of-hell card. You prayed the prayer. You checked that box. To seeing their life, their story, your story, my story, in light of God's story, His plan, and His purpose. But if you're in the room and you're not yet a believer, maybe you're friendly to Jesus, maybe you like what he's saying, maybe you just like his people. Why is biblical theology important for you? Because we need you to see, we need you to see the compelling and beautiful truth of God's pursuing redemption of you. Like you, friend, in the room, if you're not in Jesus, whatever your name is, you know your name, and I need you to understand that God had you in mind as he crushed his son on the cross. Like, that, like it was that personal. It was for you. And I need you to be caught up in the incredible pursuit of creator God wanting to redeem his created people. But also, back to that biblical illiteracy thing. So many, I mean, generations now are, 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 are growing up apart from Christian teaching, the Word of God. And so what that means is there is no, there is no idea, there's no context for biblical truth. And so for us as Christians, we need to be so 
uh, caught up in understanding the context of the Bible that we can give them the gospel in context. So essentially, track with me, if I fly to a, a, a island that has had no human contact and they do not believe Jesus, they are a people that have not yet, they've never heard the gospel, I do not land there and just say, hey friend, here's fire, you uh, are a sinner and um, you are going to be condemned because of that sin. Are those, are those facts true? 1,000%. But we see what missionaries, contextual missionaries do is they go in and they communicate this story. As a matter of fact, some of the resources that we've pulled in in helping study and prepare for this series is actually missionary resources. So Southern Baptist missionaries uh, of ours overseas that are talking to people that do not have, that, that are not able to read. And they're storying the Bible They are telling the stories of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation, creation, fall, redemption, and restoration in order to set a context for them to then hear the particulars of the gospel that they must be saved. Listen to this. Somebody way smarter than me says this. The gospel is integrally, integrally, I can't even say the word, tied to the Bible's storyline. Indeed, it's incomprehensible without understanding that story from Dr. D.A. Carson. We need to give people the context. And, 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 and quite honestly, because our culture is so far from the church, so far from the Bible, that to give them the gospel, we, we need to help them in giving the context, right? Right? So, as God's people, we must understand God's story in the Bible in order to find our hope and purpose. And then we must have right theology of the Bible so that we can communicate, so we can articulate not only what God's doing in our lives, but what God has purposed for my neighbor's life, for my coworker's life. So, today... Is that, that's kind of a, the big intro on why this series. But today I want us, as we dive into Luke 24, is to understand and read the whole of Scripture in light of the work of Jesus. Alright, so we're going to read the whole of Scripture in light of the work of Jesus. Okay, so let us pray and we'll get into Luke chapter 24. Father, Lord, this is your word, this is your story, and we are just recipients of it, and now participants in Christ. And Lord, we, we acknowledge that we are not center stage in this story. Lord, and we, we confess that we're not the main character, that we are not the rescuer, that we are not the hero, but that we are the needy, the blind, the beggars that are in desperate need of the one. Christ. And so, Lord, I pray that you would uh, that you would sh- you would sift our hearts, Lord, that you would help us to understand the whole of your word. The, I mean, it's so precious. It's 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 more valuable than gold. It's sweeter than honey. It's it's good for so many things: for reproof and for teaching and and for admonishing and encouraging. Lord, it's it, your word is 
an absolute treasure trove. And God, we don't want to leave any meat on the bone. God, we want Your whole Word to shape us. And we want to see Your whole Word in light of Your redemption through Jesus. So I pray that You'd open our minds and our hearts now. Amen. All right. So we must read the whole Scripture. The whole Scripture in light of God's redemption through Jesus. So let's go to Luke 24. Now, you might, you might recognize this chapter. Luke 24. Jesus has resurrected. There are two men leaving Jerusalem and they're heading to this town called Emmaus. They're, they're downtrodden disciples. They're confused. They're not really sure what's going on. And it's so interesting because Jesus runs up on them and in only the way that God Himself can prevents Himself from being noticed or, or at least His identity revealed and begins just conversing with these two brothers. And they're talking about all the prophets and they're speaking about all this, you know, like we really thought that one of the verses that sticks out the most to me is they're wrestling with what's going on as it says. Oh, man, where'd it go? This is what I get for not taking the note down. It basically says he was our hope. We thought he was the one. We thought he was the Messiah. And it says we thought that he would be the one to redeem Israel. And Jesus is like, what are you, like, what are you guys talking about? And they, they're like, have you not heard? Are you the only one in Jerusalem who's not aware of what's going on? That the one we thought was the Christ has been crucified. And now there's rumors stirring that like the grave, it, it's empty. But nobody's seen him. We don't know where he's at. And we're just, we really thought he was the one. And Jesus, as he continues to speak to them and ask questions, eventually kind of allows them to continue to express their doubts. And then in a way that only Jesus, God himself, can do. In verse 26 and 25, he says, Oh foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And here's where we're picking up today in verse 27. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them, it to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So, so they drew near to the village to which they were going. This was a seven-mile walk. And he acted as if he were going farther but they urged him strongly, like laid a hand on him, like, whoa, stay with us, for it is towards evening, and the day is now far spent. And so he went in to stay with them, and when he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them, and their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight and they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? 
And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem, another seven miles. And they found the eleven, and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed, and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road, and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. And that's the word of God. So three words as it relates to the story. We must know the story of God. We must know it. You see, these disciples, they knew the Word, right? They had the Old Testament Scriptures. As a Jew, you knew the Old Testament. These guys were not caught off guard by prophecies of the Messiah. I mean, that that 400 years of silence between the Old Testament and the New Testament, the Jews, even though they may, their faith may have waned to a degree, but they were banking and anticipating for God to speak and eventually for His Messiah to come. They, they were not foolish or, or ignorant of the fact that there was one coming. But there was doubts. And quite honestly, there was, there was failure to see the whole of Scripture in light of the Messiah. Think about Isaiah 53. I mean, let me just read you some of the highlights for this one, this, this one suffering servant. He was despised and rejected by man, a man of sorrow, acquainted with grief. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities, upon him with the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray and turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And it goes on and it talks about how he's oppressed and afflicted. He did not open his mouth like a lamb that's led to slaughter. He was silent. And it goes on and that he was cut out of the land. He was cut off. Isaiah 53. These brothers, no doubt, were familiar with the prophet Isaiah. But see, there was a difference between knowing, and this is the this is. The caution for us, there's a difference between knowing the Word of God intellectually and knowing or receiving the Word of God in your heart. Like that 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 truth somehow goes from here to here. So if you're in a DNA discipleship group, we've got three letters. What are they? Somebody, let's see how good you are. What's what's the first one? I I just said them. D, what's D? Discover. I, man, I love that. Discover, right? That's where, where we're teaching our minds, our heads. What's the second letter? Nurture. In for nurture. All right? And that, that's the, the heart. That's where we're, we're shepherding our heart in this belief. And this is really the goal of knowing the Scriptures is that we're actually moving information into heart transformation. And and knowing the whole Scriptures in light of redemption takes us from just mental assent to a heart knowledge of, man, this, this God has sought me out. 
if I'm trusting him for my salvation, then I can trust him for my car payment. Right? All right, what's our last one? A for act, where we want to, this is our hands, where we want to empower our hands to obey what's transformed our hearts. So we're moving it from mental ascent to heart transformation and to physical acts of obedience and faith. And this is our goal every time we open the Word. Not just in this series, but every time we look in the Word. Every time we listen to a sermon, we want to discover and nurture and act. But our brothers here, they, 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 they fell short. They, they struggled. And we know there's, there's a little more to, to our Jewish friends not understanding or fully seeing than just a failure to understand the Word. We, we just studied Romans. We learned all about that and God's partial hardening. But there's something important here. There's something important. Listen to this. Warren Wiersbe says, what was the basic problem? All right, so this is the basic problem. They, they did not believe all the prophets had written about the Messiah. They just didn't believe it. There was, there was a problem with most of the Jews in that day. They saw the Messiah, and here's what we need to, we need to kind of cue in on. They saw the Messiah as the conquering redeemer. Right? Remember the question is like, we thought this was the one. He was our hope that he would redeem who? Israel. As in, like, the people in AD 30, right? Like, boom, those people. We thought he was going to be the rescuing redeemer of that particular people in that, uh, that kingdom, that physical earthly kingdom. But they did not see him, so they saw him as a conquering redeemer, but they did not see him as a suffering servant in Isaiah 53. They read the Old Testament. They saw the glory, but not the suffering. They saw the crown, but not the cross. But they had the Scriptures. You see? We have the Scriptures, church. But if we're not careful, and if we're not, if we're not grounded in the story, this, this story from Genesis to Revelation, and understanding that it's primarily about God's redemption of His people, then we can miss, and all of a sudden we can kind of twist, and we can make scriptures about things that it's not about. We can we highly individualize them. Uh, they're just all about us. Like when we read about David and Goliath, we're just like, well, yeah, I'm David. Uh, my problem's Goliath, and I need to find the perfect rock and and kill it. Versus understanding the, that, that David was a type of Messiah and rescuer, and Jesus was far better. And that we were the Israelites huddled in the side going, man, we're not going out there. You see how different a narrative and how different that implication is of that story that we often tell in our kids' ministry. Hey, be David. Versus trust the one better than David. The truer and better, right? Do you see the difference? When we read about Abraham and, and Isaac, we, we, don't, we don't draw out that implication that it's like, hey, we, you know, we, just, we, need, we need to do exactly what Abraham does. But we need to see what God does and what he prevents Abraham from doing. He does not ask anyone else to do what he was willing to do by crushing his son. 
What did Abraham do when, when the Lord stopped him? Well, for one, Abraham said, hey, if he's going to take him, I, could, I know he's going to bring him back because he promised me. He will not fail. But what do we see as the driving theme of God's redemption in that text? But that God and only his son, God is the only one who ends up putting his son on the altar, sacrificing his son for the people. So we allow the whole of, we, we need to understand all of these scriptures in light of Christ's redemption. Even, I'll never forget, I was in seminary and we were studying, uh, and I was having to do like a little exercise on uh, Jonah and the fish. Now there's a lot of implications, there's a lot of implications on our obedience like Jonah But I also need to understand that it's not lost on us that when the people are demanding a sign in the Gospels and Jesus says, hey, the only sign I will give you is the sign of Jonah. Why in the world would the, what what is that sign, this disobedient disciple, this disobedient prophet? What's the sign there? What happened to Jonah? But he got swallowed up for how many days? Just random three days. And then what happened when you read Jonah's letter and how he talks about being swallowed up and entangled. And I mean, it is like D-E-A, dead. And then what happens on the third day? He's resurrected out. You see, there is redemption all throughout the Scriptures. But we can miss it. If we're not grounded, as, as um, Newbegin said in the very beginning, if we're not seeing God's redemption in light of the whole of Scripture. So, Jesus then opens the Scriptures, and this is so phenomenal. Beginning with Moses. Now, remember, Moses penned the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. So when it says beginning with Moses, we can go to the very beginning. And it may have been that he started in somewhere in like Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. Maybe my favorite text uh, of the Bible where he says that the seed of Eve will do what? Crush the head of the serpent. That is our first gospel promise post-fall. The first gospel promise that God will, through the seed of Eve, okay, through this descendant, this one descendant, will crush the head of Satan. Is there any hope after Genesis 2 and 3? Yeah, you better believe it. There's hope that there is one who will conquer Satan. And so from Genesis 3. Until the New Testament, there's just whispers and shadows. Whispers and shadows. There are pictures, even immediately after Genesis 3. You guys have heard me say this before. But what happens? Out of God's love and kindness to His people, that they would not be able to live in this, in this uh, Garden of Eden forever and ever and ever in their sin, because that wouldn't be very loving. What does He do? He banishes them. And it says that He does what with them? What's he put on them? Remember, they are naked, naked. What do they do? They get clothed with animal skins. Well, hey, nothing's been killed. That, that permission hadn't been given yet. 
So how, I mean, where did they go to get animal skin? Something had to die in order to get those skin. So what we see in Genesis chapter 3 is this picture of what God's atonement for sins will look like. Blood must be shed for the covering of our sin. We are all the, like Adam and Eve want to cover our, our sin and, and fig leaves and success and relationships and, and denial of God. Or you fill in the blank on what you've covered, attempted to cover your sin and rebellion. But here's the only way that it can be covered and that is through the shed blood of a sacrifice. And so all throughout the Old Testament, we see the law is given and it begins to stipulate, I mean, down to incredible different levels of sin and whether it should be a dove or should it be a goat or whatever it is. But we see that blood must be shed and we have to see it in light of God's redemption that it was finally, and Hebrews helps us see this, is that Jesus came, that he was the one, he was the final because the blood of bulls and goats could not take away the sins of man. It must be the one, the perfect one, the spotless, blemishless, blemishless Lamb of God. Amen? And when we begin to see that, and you begin to read through the Old Testament, and you see these, the, 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 these, these shadows and these hints, you go, man, this is the story of God being whispered throughout the prophets, throughout the judges, throughout the kings, throughout uh, when they're in captivity. God is speaking. And there is one story that I will redeem my people and family. He will not fail. He did not fail. Therefore, he will not fail. Amen? So Jesus opens the scriptures of himself. And even the even apostles and disciples after Jesus, Philip, and in, in when he's speaking, he's, he begins to speak about Jesus from the beginning. In John, Jesus says that, hey, if you believed in me, you to believe Moses. Why? Because Moses spoke about Christ, the Messiah. He interpreted things concerning himself. Guys, we are not the center of this, the Bible story. We're not the center. It's the Lord Jesus. And I'd encourage you, and when, listen, there is a lot of social media, there's a lot of Bible teaching on like these little reels. Um, be so cautious. Be so cautious. And I would just say, be on the offense, like, like delete, don't listen to junk that spews a false gospel. Don't listen to things that are like, hey, come on, like if it sounds like self-help, <laughs> get it out of here. We don't need it because we don't need self-help, we need Messiah help and that's Jesus, right? So we put off anything that smells of Hey, Jimmy, just pull yourself up by your bootstraps, brother. Can't do it. That's right. We run this risk. The brothers on, a, on the road to Emmaus, we run the same risk. That we, without rightly understanding the whole Bible in light of Jesus, we can miss Jesus. We can miss him. We can miss him. Or we might see Jesus as only Savior, but there be no connection to our, our life and purpose. You know how many in the church struggle with purpose? 
and God's will and what should I do and who should I marry and what should I do after college or should I get married? All these questions. And, and it's anxiety-provoking. It's fear-provoking. And guys, I'm telling you, it's not as complicated as we make it. Because God has been very clear from Genesis that we have been created for a purpose in life. And that is to be a worshiper or to, hey, be a disciple, right? That's kind of our New Testament language of being a worshiper, obeying God's commands, and doing what? Being, making. Somebody whispered it. Being a disciple who's making disciples. You know what freedom comes with that? You can be in the army and be a disciple that makes disciples. You know what's freeing about that? You can be a stay-at-home mama, never stepping foot on a foreign mission field, but you better believe your carpet, as dirty as it is, speaking from my own experience, that is not an illusion, that's my own experience, as dirty as it is, is a mission field where we are to be disciples who make disciples. So if you feel the Lord's leading you to a career change, be a disciple who makes disciples. Now, he will give specific things. I have lived this life in which I am moving in this direction, and he says, stop, go here. And he'll do it. He'll do it. But I need you to understand, over and under all of that, he will give specific direction. But over and under all of that is be a disciple and make disciples wherever you find yourself. Amen? So we see the whole scripture. But we must know the story in order for that to be. Secondly, we must live in light of God's story. Family, as Jesus breaks bread, he's having a meal with them, he breaks bread, their eyes are open, and they see him. And what happens? He vanishes. Oh, did our hearts not burn as he opened the word? As his heart, as our hearts not, were they not on fire? Were they not on fire? The word of God transforms hearts. That's that middle part of our discipleship process, that nurture, where we want to take the word and it wants to change our heart. What, how does this change our heart? I'll tell you my story. So God saved me. Actually, I was, I was journaling this week. God saved me um, about uh, like 30 years ago. I was very young, very young, by God's grace. And I was just recounting his faithfulness to me over these years and, and quite honestly recounting my unfaithfulness to him over these many years. But one thing happened to me beyond salvation, and it was like I, I've journaled like timelines and kind of these big moments, whether it's loss, hurt, whatever they are, that like the Lord really used to shape me. And one of them was helping me understand God's story in the scriptures. Because what happened in that moment was it unlocked the entire Bible to the gospel of Jesus. I mean, like the Old Testament came alive in a way that I had never experienced it because it was like, man, this Old Testament is just a lot of rules. It's just a lot of these and thousand hard things until I saw Jesus on the pages of the Old Testament. And you know what that did? But man, as that head knowledge changed my heart, my heart burned. And you know what it did is it helped me understand my story of how Jesus changed me and how he's moving even when I don't feel like he's moving. He's redeemed me and he's given me a purpose, a created purpose that I can live out because he's changed me. 
And so now as I interact with other people and I, I know God has a plan for their life and when I know in their sin and their struggles, their shame and their difficulties, their greatest need is Christ. All of a sudden, the world has become not more simple or easier, but the path to hope is more clear. Because when I can speak to my coworker and I hear the heartbreaking circumstances of just decision after decision of them attempting to be God, be on the throne of their life, and it wreaking failure and strife, all like on top of strife. I mean, I could try to counsel and massage all those problems away, but at the end of the day, the hope is the gospel. And so what that does, family, is that gives us the bold confidence to be able to kindly speak the good news of Jesus and point them that he wants to redeem you for a purpose. He changes our hearts. And lastly, so we want to know, we want to live in this word and be changed. Lastly, we want to share this story. Once I had this category, my heart's burning because I'm beginning to see the scriptures more fully and more clearly, and I'm beginning to navigate my own life and my friend's life and be able to speak the gospel to like, hey, brother, you lost a, a loved one that was so meaningful to you or that was, had so badly hurt you, let me give you the hope of Jesus. And what that did was it made it so much easier to communicate the gospel. Because I could go from anywhere in a conversation and take it back to the hope of Christ. And, and so as Jesus is changing us, this is my encouragement, as Jesus is changing us, he, he's, he's changing our lives, and we must share it. We must share it. And so uh, there's going to be some stuff coming down the pipe where we're going to do this real implicitly. My man William is going to help me. We're going we're gonna to do some things in the community to just be bold in praying and sharing the gospel. Let's be on the lookout for that. But I would encourage you, on top of that, you have a circle. You have a network. Take them the gospel. Don't miss the conversations. Don't miss the lunchtime conversations. If you have the opportunity, don't eat lunch by yourself. Eat lunch with a coworker. Hear their story. It'll come out and give them the good news. Amen? Give them the good news. Man, if he's resurrected, then everything is true. The creation, the fall, the redemption, and the future restoration. Let's put our hope in that. Amen? Father, you're so good. We thank you for your word. We thank you for this series. And I pray over the weeks to come, Lord, that you'd stir us up. Lord, as we're going to be going around over very familiar passages of Scripture, Lord, I pray that you would give us refreshment like we've never heard it before. Would you open our eyes as Christ opened the eyes of the disciples? Lord, would you, would you help us to know your story in a deeper way. God, would you change our hearts as we live in light of your story and with the hope of the gospel and your purpose 
And God, would you enable us by your spirit to be a joyful people as we share this story. Please have your way in Christ's name. Stand and sing. Thank you for listening to this week's teaching. If you'd like to learn more about how you can be a part of what God is doing here at Point, connect with us at www.pointchurch.live. Thank you.